Again, thank you for joining with us this morning. And uh, if you have a Bible, I'd like for you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. In our normal church services, as we were gathered together, we have been going through during the 10 o'clock hour, we've been going through the book of 1 Thessalonians. And uh, we have arrived at chapter number 5. And I want you to turn there with me this morning. And as we turn there, I want to say to each one of us that we ought to be living a life of expectations. Expectations not of what this world can give us, but expectations of what Christ has done and what Christ will do. And as we get to 1 Thessalonians 5 this morning, we arrive at the Apostle Paul giving us great reminders of what we ought to expect. I want us to consider for our subject this morning, expecting Christ. Expecting Christ. As you look with me at 1 Thessalonians 5, let's read together beginning in verse number 1. The Apostle Paul writing, of course, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these words, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Please notice this verse. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light. And the children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. As we consider this subject this morning of expecting Christ, I want us to be reminded today that our great hope as believers, the great hope as believers today, is the coming again of our Lord. The expecting of our Redeemer, the expecting of Christ. In this chapter, Paul does not introduce a new subject. He continues and carries on what he had begun at the end of chapter number four about the suddenness and the surprise coming of our Lord. We are called as believers to be sober, to be watching, to be on guard. In this chapter, the Apostle Paul begins by exhorting us about our responsibilities of looking for his return. It is a responsibility we have as believers this morning to be looking for his return. He calls believers to be on guard, to look out for one another. And this particular chapter, chapter number five, as we'll see in the coming weeks, it closes with a prayer for all believers. Friends, the Lord's Word teaches us that we are to always be ready for the coming of Christ. That's what it is to live in expectation. Expecting that He's coming. Not wondering if He's coming, but expecting it. It will be sudden. It will be with surprise. 
But as Paul speaks about this coming of Christ, he signifies there in the very first verse of this chapter, he says, I have, but of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. Listen, this was such a well-known truth to the church of the Thessalonians that he said, I don't even need to remind you of this great truth. And friends, that's the way it ought to be this morning. If you are in Christ today, listen, you should not have to be reminded to expect Christ. You should already be looking because you know the truth of His coming. It was so well known to the Thessalonians that he tells them that yes, it's going to be sudden, but notice what he says in verse 2. And we'll expound this more in just a few moments. He says, you, you yourselves know perfectly You know perfectly that the day of the Lord cometh as a thief in the night. I want us to consider three headings this morning about these five verses we're going to cover. Number one, we want to consider this first heading. The coming of Christ is not speculation. The coming of Christ is not speculation. We'll see that in verse number one. Verses 2 through 3 will consider the coming of Christ will be sudden. The coming of Christ will be sudden. And then in verses 4 through 5, we understand, and we'll look at this heading, the coming of Christ is for the saints. It's for the saints. Notice again what the Apostle Paul writes there in verse number 1. He says, but of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. To write to believers that Christ will come again was to simply write to them what they should have already known. We recall in the book of Acts, as Jesus was ascending to the right hand of the Father, we remember the audience that was there. The audience was watching as as they were looking up. Acts 1 verse 10 tells us this. It says, and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, that's a reference to Christ, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? Now in your Bible, it's, it's, it's phrased as a question. He says, why are you gazing up into heaven? Their, their look must have been a look that must have been confusion. It must have been a look of doubt. It must have been something because it made them say, why are you looking? And then they said, this same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner. As you've seen him go into heaven. We know that the Bible teaches us that Christ is coming again. We learned last week that the dead in Christ will be raised first. And then those who are alive and remain will be changed and caught up to meet him. Will be changed into his likeness. Friends, this is what encourages our hope this morning. This is what reminds us the coming of Christ and our going to be with him. It comforts us now, and it will comfort us for all of eternity. Remember the Apostle Paul, as we looked at the text last week, dealt with the comfort that he was trying to remind that those that have died or those that bury their loved ones, he was reminding them, be encouraged, there is a resurrection, there is a day coming when the dead in Christ shall rise again. But Paul says, Paul says specifically, you have no need that I write unto you. What he's saying here back in our 
the first verse here of 1 Thessalonians 5 is he is telling them we're not to write about or to speculate the exact timing of this. It would do none of us any good at all, even if we knew it. It's of no benefit to us to know the exact time. As a matter of fact, it's not It's not a benefit to us at all to even know what season of the year. If we could even begin to narrow it down and say, okay, he's going to come in a fall of one particular year. He's going to come in the summer of a particular year. It would benefit, he says, you have no need that I write unto you. And friends, I implore you today, we don't need to know the time. We just need to be reminded of the truth that he is coming again and we are to be expecting it. Really three reasons I see in the text of why Paul wrote these words. Number one, speculation does nothing but satisfies man's fleshly curiosity. Speculation does absolutely nothing but satisfied or attempts to satisfy man's fleshly curiosity. To have a desire to know when the Lord is coming again is a matter of the flesh, not a matter of the spirit. There are men who have dedicated their entire lives to trying to determine and to pinpoint and to place an exact date upon the coming of Christ, and yet nowhere in the Bible does it tell us that we are to speculate. All speculation is an attempt to satisfy our own fleshly, sinful curiosity. Remember, we started our service today by reading Psalm 103, and we talked about satisfaction in Christ alone. Idle speculation. The coming of Christ is not to be speculated about. Number two, and very plainly, the Bible shows us this, that no man knows the day. No man knows the hour. And no man knows the season. I want you to hold your place there in 1 Thessalonians. And if you would, go back to Matthew, the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter number 24, and look with me at verse 36. Matthew 24, and look at verse number 36. And this is one of those portions of Scripture that remind us about this great truth that no man knows the day, the hour, or the season. Matthew 24, verse 36. But of that day and hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels of heaven but my Father only. Now remember, this is Jesus saying this. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage unto the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Now notice our Lord's words here. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. It's fascinating to me that the Lord Jesus himself said, No man knows but my Father only. Back to our text in 1 Thessalonians and third consideration about the coming of Christ is not speculation. And I think this is a challenge to all of us this morning. True believers should have no desire to know more 
than what God has been pleased to reveal in His Word. Friends, I should not desire to know more than what God has revealed in His Word. To desire to know more, to go beyond the bounds of Scripture, is to have a fleshly human desire and understand that we're, we don't need more than what the Holy Scriptures have already told us. I don't need to know more. I would encourage us today, we need to know about what He's already revealed, not beyond the pages of Scripture. If the Lord wanted us to know, He would have revealed it to us. We don't, we don't speculate on things. Speculation has no place in the pulpit. Speculation has no place in the church house. It has no place because we are not to speculate. We are to trust the Word of what it already tells us. I don't have to go beyond Scripture and say, I need to dig a little bit further. You see, the coming of Christ is not a matter of speculation. The day that God has appointed for this coming, nobody knows. If a man comes to you or a woman comes to you saying, I know the day of our Lord's return, turn from them and do not listen to them. They do not know. Why do I know that? Because the Bible says no man knoweth but the Father. But you can be sure of this, that He will come when men are looking for nothing else. In other words, it's going to be a day when we are looking for Him. How do we know that? Because that's what Paul is teaching us here. We are to be looking for His return. Not speculating about the day, the season, the hour, but looking for Him. Verse 2 of 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 2 and 3, as we consider this second heading. The coming of Christ will be sudden. It will be sudden. Now notice he says, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Now, we do know that the return of Christ will be sudden and somewhat unexpected. Now, hold there for just a few moments. The primary suddenness and unexpected arrival should not be to the believer, but it's going to take the world, the unbelieving world, by surprise. Friends, listen, when Christ comes again, we, are, we should not be sitting there saying, I'm so surprised this is happening. I'm, I'm shocked. But an unbelieving world will be. And he, he elaborates on this a little bit further when we get into verse number 3. But this reference here, the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night, is a reference to the suddenness or the surprise. Typically in the night refers to a time when we are asleep. Again, hold your place in 1 Thessalonians 5 and go back to the Gospel according to Luke and look at Luke chapter number 12. Luke 12, and we'll elaborate on this principle of being asleep. Luke 12, verse 35. Luke chapter number 12, verse 35. Let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. And ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord, and when he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. 
Blessed are those servants whom the Lord when he cometh shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. And if he shall come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. And this know that if the good man of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not have suffered his house to be broken through. Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. You see the picture here of the suddenness of the coming of Christ. That it will be sudden, and it will come as a surprise to those who are asleep. You see, here's what we understand about what Paul is writing to the believers there in verse number 2, back in our text, 1 Thessalonians 5. He says, ye know perfectly. He said, you already know it's going to be like a thief in the night. It'll be a great surprise to the unbeliever. It'll be a great surprise to the wicked. It's going to take them off guard. It's going to be at a moment when they least expect it. Christ will come. And as the thief comes to take, the thief comes to destroy, the thief Sadly, in many cases, in a, in a real-world situation like we're accustomed to, uh, results in somebody being killed. But the coming of Christ is going to put to an end the carnal comforts and the ease of the hope that is found in this earthly world. Friends, one of the great dangers of living in such a time of prosperity is finding your satisfaction and your comfort and being at ease. There's no doubt we're going through a very challenging time. But I I woke up this morning thinking about this. Even at our most challenging moments here in this country, there are people who are living as believers in places in this world that every single day is beyond what any of us are even capable of of handling. As we struggle to get to the stores to find the necessities of life, there are people that don't even have the basic necessities of life. Friends, this is all about perspective. And yes, people who are in Christ, we are missing the fellowship one with another. But understand something. The Word of God is not bound. The Word of God is not hindered. We are not, we are not closing God is just giving us some opportunities today that we may have never had before. But the truth that we do know is we know that Christ is coming again. It is not to be a matter of speculation, and it is going to be sudden. And for the unbeliever, it is going to put to an end all of the carnal comforts and ease. Now, we know he's talking about this because when we look into verse number three, he refers specifically about what the wicked will be dealing with and talking about. You see, the reality is, friends, our Lord's coming is not going to surprise a believer one bit. Now, it's, not going to be, it's going to be an unexpected time because the Bible teaches we don't know the hour, the day, the month, the season, the year. But we're not going to be surprised. We're not going to, be, we're not going to say, who is this? Because we're expecting Christ. We're expecting Him. And friends, if you're a believer today, you are expecting Christ. You're not wondering, you're expecting Him. It's not going to be a surprise because we've been looking for Him. 
Now, if you drop into verse number three of this chapter, notice what he says. For when they shall say, now notice I circled the word they in my Bible because the they differentiates between the brethren which Paul is speaking to. For when they shall say, peace and safety. You see, here's what the wicked, unbelieving world is going to be doing when the Lord comes. They're going to be saying, everything is fine. Peace, safety, security. And notice what the Bible says. Then sudden destruction cometh upon them. The them is a reference to the they. (laughs) For when they shall say, those who are saying peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them. And he describes it as travail upon a woman with child and they shall not escape. He gives us an illustration that every believer can comprehend. Just as the birth pains begin in a pregnant woman, they come on suddenly and it announces. They, they come out of nowhere. That woman, is, is, she's fine and she's, having, she's experiencing no pains at all and suddenly it comes upon her. That's what's going to happen to the wicked, the unbelieving world. It's going to come suddenly upon them. And notice the sobering truth. It comes upon them and they shall not escape. They shall not escape. Friends, listen, there's two different things going on here. The believer is expecting Christ because he's coming to make all things right. He's coming to set in order. But for the unbelieving world, it is judgment that is coming. And the Bible says there will not be an escape. We're expecting Christ. Unbelievers, up until recently... Many were talking about the prosperity and the peace. We were being told, and even us as believers, if we're not careful, we were being lulled into a sense of, wow, things are really going well. We have this wonderful economy. We have this wonderful thing. It just seems like the world is on the upslope and the the, the United States is on the upslope. Then suddenly, within just a few days, our entire worlds have been changed. It was sudden. Nobody, nobody really saw it. The unbelieving world, when Jesus Christ comes again, they are going to be taken overtaken like a thief in the night. But believers are not going to be overtaken. Why? Because we're supposed to be looking and when He comes, we're not going to be surprised. The unbeliever promises something it cannot promise. The unbeliever promises to himself good health, wealth, Suddenly, death comes upon them. Sickness comes upon them. The coming of the Lord comes upon them. And they are shocked at what happens. We already saw that how it's back in Luke that the Lord used the illustration as it was in the days of Noah. So shall it be in the days when Christ comes again. You see... The careless, the indifferent, 
to the things of God, the unbelieving world will be overtaken and they will not escape. Now, friends, we as believers, we don't say those words with pride. We don't say those things with arrogance because we understand that were it not for the grace of God, we would be the unbelieving world. We would still be dead in our trespasses and sin had it not been for the grace and the mercy of God. Had Jesus Christ not paid our penalty. Salvation is not something that leads us to arrogance. It, it humbles us. It brings us down because we realize were it not for the sovereign grace of God, you and I would have no expectations of Christ. We would be living, expecting nothing, and we would be one of these very ones which Paul writes about that will be overtaken and will not escape. Praise God for His marvelous grace. So number one, the coming of Christ is not a matter of speculation. Number two, the coming of Christ will be sudden. And number three, verses four and five, the coming of Christ is for the saints. Now we might say, well, didn't you just mention that judgment will come with this? Yes, that is true. But for the saint, this is a wonderful reminder. Paul says there in verse number four, but ye brethren, look what he says, are not in darkness. I'm so thankful I'm not in the dark today. He refers to being in darkness as being overtaken. He goes back to the illustration he just gave in verse 2. But ye brethren are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. You see, those that would be overtaken as a thief is the unbelieving world because they weren't expecting it. But for you and I, who are believers, we will not be overtaken with it because we are not in the dark. Friends, let's understand that the natural man, the man with, apart from Christ, the natural man, the unregenerate, the unconverted, his understanding, his basic understanding of the things of God are darkened. It is impossible it's impossible for an unbeliever to have the true knowledge of God. Impossible. It is impossible for you and I as believers to have a conversation with an unbeliever about the true knowledge of who God is. You are not going to convince an unbeliever about the, true, the truthfulness of God and who He is. It requires an enlightening. It, inquire, it requires the Holy Spirit illuminating the truth. You see, we don't take our sin seriously enough. We don't understand our own depravity enough that we still think that we in some way, shape, or form brought ourselves into the brethren. Yet we were only brought into the brethren, only brought into the family of God, only given a knowledge of God because the Holy Spirit quickened us, made us alive. Why do we hope in the return of Christ? Because we've been made alive. We're not in the darkness. Why do we understand the eternal glory and the eternal condemnation? Why do we know one is for the believer and the other is for the unbeliever? If you hold your place there in 1 Thessalonians 5, go back with me, if you would, to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter number 4. And look with me at verse number 17. Now this is in the section where the Apostle Paul deals with the subject of putting on the new man. But it's, it's what he says before that that I want us to really uh, zero in here. 
Verse 17 of Ephesians 4, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. And I love what Paul says here. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so, be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed... In the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Listen, part of the reality of being in Christ is this principle of being called out of darkness into his marvelous light. To be brought into the light, to be called the light of the world, is the result of the enlightening of the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God quickened us, made us alive. A dead man does not live. But yet the Holy Spirit of God takes a person who is dead in their trespasses and sins, enlightens them, quickens them, gives them life, and places them into the body of Christ. We are not in darkness, friends. If you are in Christ, you are not in the dark and Christ's coming will not overtake you and it will not result in judgment. However, for the unbeliever, that is exactly how Paul describes it. It will come as a thief. It will come, it will overtake you. You will not be expecting it and you will not escape. I plead with those under the sound of my voice and the authority of the word of God that today, this very moment, this very hour, that you repent and you uh, repent of your sins and you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and that Christ is the only remedy for my sin, my sinful condition. The only remedy. It's not in my prayer. It's not in my baptism. It's not in my giving. It is in faith in Christ alone. Repent and believe today. I implore you. I plead with you. We take this seriously because we know that we are dealing with a God who is holy, who is righteous, who is just. We cannot water down the gospel message to make it more acceptable, more palatable. We have to declare what the Bible says man is apart from God. We are all, if we're believers today, we are... We can claim nothing more than being sinners saved by the marvelous sovereign grace of God. We are not in darkness because we live in expectation of Christ. You'll recall when we began this series in 1 Thessalonians, if you want to turn back there with me, go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1, verses 9-10. through 10. Now I know to our regular church family, I mentioned this to you when we started this series. I said we're going to come back and we're going to deal with these phrases because this is where Paul is going. But back in the very first chapter, this was during the message entitled Evident Repentance. Paul wrote these words in 1 Thessalonians 1 verses 9 and 10. 
For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you. Remember, this was the picture of true repentance. How ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Now that's evident repentance. A turning to God from idols. And then notice the result. And to wait. Now if you'll recall, if you mark in your Bibles, I, even, I made this mention to you, that the word wait here is the same word that means to look. Waiting not with a wonder, is this going to happen, but waiting by looking. Looking for what? His Son. It doesn't tell us to look for the date. It doesn't tell us to look for the seasons. It doesn't even tell us to try to discern the times. It says to wait by looking for His Son. Listen, there are people today that are announcing, listen, uh, this unprecedented pandemic we're going through, this certainly must mean something. Everything means something. But do you understand that even had this pandemic and the next one that comes after this one, whenever it comes, it does not change the believer's command that we are to be expecting Christ, looking for Christ, because that's part of our salvation. That's part of evident repentance. You can claim to be a believer, but if you are not looking for His return, looking for His turn, return is part of the evidence that we are indeed a child of God, that we are not in the dark, that we are of the light. He says to wait for His Son from heaven. Where is Christ coming from? He's coming right, he's coming back here from the right hand of the Father, where he ascended to, which is what we saw in Acts chapter number one, when they said, Why are you men of Galilee looking up? This same Jesus shall come in like manner as you've seen him go. From heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us, here it is, from the wrath of to come. You see, what Christ did is Christ bore our sins in His own body. And He removed the wrath of God and the curse of the law from His children. Friends, as you hear us say often, Jesus Christ did not go to the cross to make salvation possible. He accomplished it. We don't preach a gospel that says Christ made it possible. We preach a gospel that said Christ did accomplish it. If I am in Christ today, when He went to the cross, He accomplished my redemption. He didn't just make it possible. He accomplished it. We preach the Christ of the Bible. We don't live in darkness. We're in the light. As children of light, we know that Christ will come. When I look out upon the world and, and we get the news reports every single day, we don't, we don't watch them as people who have no hope. You know why? Because we expect that this present life is going to come to an end. We expect that. As a matter of fact, we hasten the day. Because we understand that one day when Christ comes, even though we do not know the hour, we do not know the day, 
We do know the person who's coming, and that's Christ. Folks, this ought to be the source of our satisfaction. It ought to be the source of our joy. Since we are in the light, look with gladness to His coming. I have to wonder about a believer who says, I'm excited about the things of God, but I'm not so excited about Christ coming again. Friends, that is the most exciting news I can give you, is that for the believer, Christ is coming again, and I'm expecting Him. And I have the promise of His Word that I'm not going to be overtaken as a thief in the night. Why? Because I've been looking for Him. He calls us, Paul writes and calls us there in verse number 5. He said, ye are all the children of light. Now that word all doesn't reference to the entire world because if it did, then he would not have mentioned a they and a them. But he said, you are all. Those who are in Christ, you are the children of light. There is no child of God who is still in darkness. Now listen carefully, I just said there is no child of God who is still in darkness. You are either in the light or you are in the dark. There is no almost Christian. There is no almost believer. You are either in the light or you're in the dark. You are either a believer or an unbeliever. And yet, he says you are the children of light and children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. He calls us children of light, as we've already learned this morning, because we are enlightened people. It's not because when you go out into a community that you have a halo that's lit up over your head. It's not because you have a shine about you. It's not because you have an appearance that makes you light up. He's referencing the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit of God. You are in the light because you have been given the truth of the Word of God. You've been enlightened by the Spirit regarding the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Friends, remember, the Holy Spirit of God does not testify of Himself. He testifies of Christ. Again, back in Ephesians chapter number 1, Pray, uh, Paul was praying for the, the saints there at Ephesus. You don't have to turn there, but here's what he says. He says, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. And here it is, I love this. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that ye may know what is the hope of His calling, what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who believe according to His, according to the working of His mighty power, which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under His feet, and gave Him to be the head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. You see, we are children of the gospel. We are called the children of the day, the children of the light, in order to distinguish us 
from religious darkness. Friends, I've said this many times and I'll mention it again today. The greatest darkness is the darkness of false religion. People who are trusting in someone, something other than Christ alone. There are other religions in the world that are looking for something, but they're not expecting or looking for the return of Christ. Our sole responsibility, our sole look as believers is not to some false idol, some false God, some false philosophy, false narrative. We are looking and expecting Christ alone. As Paul began this chapter, we don't need to know the day. We don't need to know the hour. We just need to know the person, he who is coming. I cannot expect a Christ I do not know. I cannot be looking for a Christ I am not a part of. And yet we see in our text, that as Paul wrote this, these words, by God making us children of light, He gave evidence to us that our appointment was by His mercy and by His grace, and that through that gospel light, by His grace, one day we are going to enter into eternal glory. Friends, we ought to be using this time. We ought to be using this time not to tell the world, listen, everything is going to be okay. You and I do not have a promise that what we see today is going to be okay. But we do know a Savior. We do know a Christ that for the believer, we know that eternally, yes, everything is going to be okay. Folks, don't give people false hope. And what I mean by that is, don't give people hope that there's another way to glory apart from Christ. Be careful about how you preach the gospel. Be careful about what you call the gospel. Be careful that you don't tell people, hey, if you'll just pray this prayer, you're guaranteed. No, listen, there's so much more than just simply praying a prayer or walking an aisle. There's so much more to this. Without the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit of God, it is impossible for you and I to even have any knowledge of the truth of who God is. That's why we praise God for His marvelous grace. Listen, folks, there's no doubt our world has been changed. Maybe, maybe forever. I don't know. But we've got to be careful that even during the times when we're these troubling times and these trying times, that we've got to be careful that we don't get caught up, overwhelmed by the cares and concerns of this world, that it takes our eyes off of what we're supposed to be doing, even if this had never come. Expecting Christ. We should have a watch, a guard set that we are by faith looking to Him. We're not gathered in a building today together. And, and some of you that have joined us today, you're not part of this local church as far as gathering regularly, but you're a part of the body of Christ. And I, I beg of us today that are believers. I beg of us. Let's use this opportunity to stay in fellowship with one another. You say, how do we do that? We've got to distance ourselves. Listen, to be in the body of Christ, 
Oh, it's demonstrated at the local level. When we gather in our local churches, we see a local body of believers, but never, re- never forget that there are believers all over this world who are all children of the light. And what should we be doing at this moment? We should be looking for Christ. Looking for His return. Listen, friends, I'm not calling us to some kind of a self-help measure this morning. I'm not asking us to just simply say, hey, hey, listen, just, just be positive. I'm asking you to focus your eyes upon the truth and the thing that you can know is true. That's the Word of God. You're going to hear a lot of things every day that quite simply are not true. They're just not true. But I can show you and I can tell you every word in this book from Genesis to Revelation is true. If God tells me it, then it's true. If God shows me it in his word, then it's true. I don't need to go beyond the boundaries of scripture. I don't need to go and and find, hey, what do you think about this? Listen, I know where my faith is. My faith is in Christ alone, by faith alone. We are to be to the glory of God alone. Friends, now is not the time for low-level doctrine. You need to know why you believe what you believe. And not because the pastor told you so. Some of us have been given a wonderful opportunity to spend more time in God's Word than we ever would have had. Don't waste the time. And believer, don't ever think you've learned all that you need to know because there is always more we need to be reminded of, even as we started our service today, about where's your satisfaction found. I've challenged us nearly every time we've gathered together, if this goes on, for an extended period of time. How's your faith going to be? Or are you just waiting for the all clear? You're waiting for, I can get back to my regular life. I can do what I was going to do. Listen, what you should have been doing, what I should have been doing, was expecting Christ. Thanking Him for His marvelous grace. Thanking Him that He chose me before the foundation of the world. And because of that, I can find total satisfaction even in the midst of a very uncertain time. Determined to live each day expecting Christ. Next week, we're going to look a little bit more specifically. Paul goes on with these thoughts in verses 6-11. through And he reminds the believers of our responsibilities, of how we ought to live in the days when we're expecting Christ. We're going to close this time in prayer, and then for just a few moments, a hymn will play, and we ask you just to take those few moments before we stop live streaming to just meditate on what you've heard today, think about the Word of God. We will be live streaming again at 1130 So if you'd like to join us again for that, we'll be back on right at 1130. We'll be dealing uh, with the subject today uh, from John 18 and the question, Whom seek ye? We'd encourage you and invite you to join us again at 1130.
But let's close this time in prayer, and then we'll go into just a time of, uh, of meditation on the Word as the, the hymn plays. Father, we thank You for Your Word today. Lord, we thank You that we have a sure hope, we have a firm foundation. And Lord, I do pray for every believer this morning that You would help us by reminding us yet again that what we ought to be doing is not speculating upon the day and the season and the hour and the times but we should be looking and expecting Christ. Father, I thank you that you can bring people together. Even when we can't physically be together, you can bring us together around the word. And I pray that people have been encouraged today. Lord, you've encouraged my soul. I've been filled again today because your word is our only means of satisfying. Lord, I pray now that as we consider what we've heard for just these remaining moments, I pray, Lord, for that person today who who is is hearing the word of God their eyes are being opened their ears are being able to hear they're hearing the truth I pray that they would repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ they would acknowledge that their only remedy for their sin is Jesus Christ alone father we would rejoice with knowing that they are now part of the family of God Father, we pray that as we continue in just a while, Lord, that you continue to bless this time we have together. Be with those churches that are represented even online today, some that are in churches that did not meet, and we're thankful they were able to join us today. And I pray that you would meet the needs. Lord, continue to meet the needs of our church. We thank you that you've allowed us ways to be able to stay together and connected. We thank you and we praise you for all these things. And it's in Christ's name and for his sake I do pray. Amen.